Welcome everyone to your ongoing journey or leap into a new world of opportunity. Inside Japan podcast is a stepping stone for your next adventure. It is a show filled with informative interviews, perspectives on local life, and how you can master your path into the unknown. For today, kick back and listen to the wisdom of our host, James. James here comes to you with episode number 76 of the Inside Japan podcast brought to you by Jobs Japan with that hot new video interview feature. Go check it out at jobsjapan.com if you want to find your first job in Japan, your next job in Japan, whatever you need. They got something for you there. This week, guys, really hot one with Steven, uh, Shochu connoisseur in, in many ways. Uh, I saw his tweet. He had a tweet, tweet about a book coming out about Shochu. So I said, hey, what's going on? Let me hear about that. But I learned a lot more than I expected to in this interview about him and how he has taken a hobby. One of my favorite things about Japanese people is how they take hobbies not every Japanese person, by the way, but a lot of Japanese people take their hobbies to the furthest extent, and Steven is the best example that I've found in a long time on this show. So sit back and enjoy my interview with Steven. Be sure to follow him on Twitter, by the way, at Shochu underscore Danji, so D-A-N-J-I. Uh, so be sure to follow him on Twitter as well for his time, because it's really fun to talk to him and uh, learn of his ways, how he got into the world of Shochu and how he's staying there. So uh, sit back and enjoy. All right, guys, very special guest here today, doing all kinds of things in Japan. We're getting all that stuff. Steven, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. And how we like to start the show here is, you know, obviously you're living in Japan now, doing a lot of cool things in Japan, but I want to know, you know, how you got there, right? So what was your first world? How did you get in Japan in the very first place? Well, my first trip to Japan was actually for a medical conference back in 2009, uh, but I'd already discovered uh, Japanese food and beverage uh, back in New York where I was living at the time. And then in, I guess, 2012 was my first trip back. And that was the first time I came to Japan strictly as a tourist and uh, really focused on learning about shochu and awamori. So I spent all of my time, virtually all of my time down in Kyushu and then a side trip to Okinawa. Okay, wow. So yeah, as we're going to learn, um, you aren't doing in the, anything in the medical field now, I, I would guess, right? But Actually, I am. My, okay, my, okay. Yeah, my day job is still very much medical research. Uh, I'm in Japan now uh, working at a medical school and um, continuing my, my research that I started in New York. So oh, I, work, cool. okay. I work remotely for my hospital in New York and then uh, work a little bit for a, a university here. Wow. Okay. Okay. So you're in New York. You like Japanese food, drinks, stuff going crazy. Then you say, okay, Japan is where I want to go. Then you found that you went as a tourist just to catch up here. Um, so I want to know how you got the, the jump to, you know, obviously find a job in Japan. How did, that, how did you make that happen? Is that an easy process or not for a medical field? is obviously something we don't talk to a lot. So uh, how does that work? Well, that took a while. I had built a network of Japanese uh, physicians that I was doing research projects with. I'm a scientist. I'm not a, I'm not a physician, but I do medical research. And so I built a network of Japanese surgeons, uh, surgeons and physicians around the country. And over time, as I began visiting Japan more and more, I actually, at one point I switched to uh, a nine month contract with my hospital in New York and working uh, and then spending three months a year in Japan. Uh, Oh, okay. Wow. So that was my first step. And then through that, I was able to establish some uh, relationships and eventually got an offer. Uh, for employment here. 
Cool. I guess so. We, we can get a better look at where you are career wise. Uh, you still was that were you just starting your research in college, or was it part of your, your already full time job, or what kind of what where, where were you in your career at that point? I was um, actually when I sort of got the bug for all things Japan. I was I just um, just been promoted to associate professor, so I, I have a PhD in epidemiology. Okay. Don't know and, what that is, but cool. <laughs> yeah. It's a, the, the short, the short name is, or the short definition is it's the study of disease in human populations. Uh, so okay. I really, I, and what I, I study clinical epidemiology. So I, I study how to treat people, uh, once they have a problem basically. Oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm leaving things intentionally vague because it's not really related to the topic today. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So you got the, all in the medical field, your career is already off and running pretty, pretty going pretty well. Then you get the bug to go to Japan and you said you got some context in Japan. So I know the medical field is a higher percentage of Japanese people that can speak English in that field, but I want to know what was your Japanese level at that point And how did you make these contacts in Japan? Yeah. So actually most, if you want to be a, 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 in academic medicine, so if you want to be a physician working for a university in Japan, usually at a medical school or at a university hospital, you, you're you essentially required to go and spend uh, one to three years overseas. So virtually everyone goes overseas and, and to an English-speaking country, since most uh, Japanese medical students uh, learn English as part of their curriculum. Uh, a few go to, they'll go to, you know, France or, or you know, French or German-speaking countries, but most go to uh, English-speaking countries. So most of the physicians, the academic physicians that I've interacted with uh, speak English. And so that really wasn't my impetus for starting to learn Japanese. My impetus was when I decided I wanted, after my visit in 2012, and I wanted to, you know, I visited Chochu distilleries uh, in Kyushu. There was one particular distillery that's making very hand handmade traditional uh, sweet potato shochu. And I, I just got the bug and I was like, I want to learn how to make that. So when I contacted that distillery after my visit, uh, the, the master distiller said, you, all right, you can come and do an internship, but you need to study Japanese. And so oh, that was okay. really my my incentive to study Japanese. And I so I started Japanese lessons, I think, in August and I was in the distillery in October. So I didn't speak any Japanese, uh, but he actually spoke more English than I realized. And then we basically after that relied on like Star Wars terminology because he's a big <laughs> fan. And then, and then translation apps. So that was basically how we, how we muddled through that first year, but that was now uh, close to seven years ago. And I've been studying Japanese uh, ever since. So at this point I'm conversational and I can, I can live in Japan without too much trouble. Although reading is still a challenge because all of the study I did early on was, was speaking and listening, right? Because it was interacting with other employees at the distillery and that sort of thing. And then of course, going out for drinks afterward and, and getting used to that sort of izakaya environment and, you know, communicating with, with people around me. So the, the reading and writing have come much later and really, I really only started studying kanji after I moved to Japan. So that's been a little bit of a challenge. Interesting. Okay. So I guess two, two thoughts jump out of me is first, first, if you're a doctor in Japan, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know if it's the word is annoying, but it's kind of like, unfortunately you have to learn a whole nother thing you can get a degree for to be a kind of a high level doctor that it seems, right? Is that just Japan or every country like that? You have to know English pretty well to be that level doctor? So I, I go to a lot of international conferences even today, and the people who attend speak English. So it's probably self-selection. Oh, okay, right? okay. Right. So the, the physicians who aren't attending international conferences may not speak English. Uh, my my local, um, you know, primary care physician that I've I've since found after moving to Japan, she speaks very little English. Um, and but we 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 manage. I know enough medical terminology 
you know, that we can get by. And if she, she usually knows like the medical term for something in English. And so I can figure out what's going on when she tries to explain, you know, why I've got a fever or, you know, whatever my current health issue is. Okay, cool. So the second point was um, kind of, you know, you you went to this. So what is, well, let's just get to that first. What, what showed you? What is it about? What, when you tasted it in New York, I guess, for the first time, what was so great about it? I mean, I think it's fine, but it really, you really liked it. I mean, you got, went deep into the world of shochu, right? I really did. And <laughs> I, I really, I came to it really through food. So, you know, when I was growing up in suburban America, I was, you know, Applebee's was a good night out you know, or chilies or, you know, these kinds of restaurants, TJ Fridays. And then it was moving to New York city where you find all of these local restaurants with, you know, uh, you know, really, really well-trained chefs. And, you know, some of them have since become celebrities and that sort of thing. You realize that there's much more to food than, than mass, you know, these industrial scale chain restaurants. And so I, um, I really kind of dove deep into that and I really got interested in wine pairings and then craft beer came along. And so I sort of had an interest in sort of in, uh, in, in food and alcohol pairings. And, but I always felt like with beer and wine that it was just a little bit too heavy. Uh, I would just get full and, you know, and I'd want to eat more, but you know, I was, I was sort of stuck because I'd, I'd had a couple of glasses of wine or whatever. So, and I, I'd always liked spirits, but I've always found spirits too strong for um for food pairings you know i you know people have tried whiskey pairings with food and you know gin pairings with food and things like that and i think you know unless you're really diluting the spirit it's really tough to keep the spirit from overwhelming the food and yeah yeah when i discovered shochu here's a spirit that's 25 percent alcohol instead of 40 percent alcohol that with a little bit of dilution still has a lot of flavor and can pair very very well with food um and so that was a revelation for me and that's what i got interested in and now I'd, I'd, you know, gone deep, I guess, being a scientist, I like to research things. And so I, you know, dove deep on Italian wines and on craft beers and on, you know, German beer purity law and, and Scotch whiskeys and American bourbon and, you know, all these sorts of things. But it was really just for my own edification. It was just things I wanted to learn about and, and be knowledgeable about. But when I discovered Shochu, there was nothing in English. This was before yeah. Chris Pellegrini had published his book. This was, you know, uh, there was one website I found in English called the Shochu Circle that was that was dormant, and it had been dormant for probably five or six years, and it would, had been written by a, an American who was living in living in Japan, and then when he moved back to the states, uh, he stopped writing because he couldn't find Shochu where he was living, and so I decided to start a blog, and then that turned into my website, uh, Kampai.us, which now is probably the leading resource for information about shochu and awamori on the web and wow it was it was really when i realized that i had this opportunity or I, and, and you know i say opportunity but for me it was more of a responsibility i was like here's this amazing spirit that nobody's ever heard of and i really wanted to introduce people to it and so i you know was really dedicated to the website and i'd write reviews of different brands and i'd uh, you know visit distilleries when i'd visit japan and write about those distilleries and that sort of thing and in if if you look at the content on there now, it's really it's really slowed down because um, the the website's not web friendly, or not I'm sorry, not uh, mobile friendly. So it doesn't have adaptive response and all that sort of thing. So you can't, you know, you got to zoom in on your phone to, to even be able to read anything. And so it's actually going through a renovation uh, at this point or an update, which I'm working with a web designer and graphic designer. So we'll, there'll be a new version of it up soon. And hopefully new new content. And since that, t- you know, during this hiatus, I've started recruiting writers and that sort of thing. So we're going to have, I think, a lot more content uh, 
with a lot more diverse opinions than just you know me with a blog a blog essentially cool cool yeah then uh yeah that's, that's uh come by dot us again so again yeah it's update is coming soon in the future so it's not there yet but it's gonna be there soon so be sure to check that out guys but uh one of the, my favorite things i like about japan is a lot of people not everyone i know that one's totally sweeping generalizations but uh you know when they find a hobby and they like it they go deep you know like <laughs> you you i'm sure if you live in japan now you can know you know what i'm talking about and uh you definitely did that as well that's really cool you went to the like the fullest extent of a uh something you know hobby and you went all the way that's really cool so I wanted to just take us back, though, to that time when you were going to distilleries and uh, you found one that you really like, you said, and uh, you went to the guy and said, hey, I want to work here. Uh, what was that like? I mean, that's take some some courage, right? I mean, what kind of led to the what was your impetus there for saying, all right, I just want to work here? Yeah. So I um, what it was is I, I was a guest of Komasa Distillery, which is a, one of the larger producers in Kagoshima and uh Komasa-san, who at the time was the vice president, he's now the president. He's he's around uh, my age. And we we really hit it off when we met in New York and we go out drinking together and that kind of thing. And, you know, he speaks some English, but he really wanted to, you know, give me that omotenashi. So he hired a translator for when I came to visit him. And okay. and basically for two days, I had a translator with me to, to explain everything because I didn't speak any Japanese at that time. Um, and so... He when when I arrived, Komasa-san asked, "What do you want to do? You know, what 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 do you really want to do while you're here? Because I want to make sure you can do everything you're you're hoping to." And I said, "I want to do two things. I want to go to your local izakaya. I want to go to the place where you go to drink, not where you take your clients, not where you're trying to show off, but where you like to hang out and just relax. And the other thing is, I want to visit a traditional handmade shochu distillery." And an interesting thing about Komasa is they actually have a handmade distillery in the center of their massive main factory where they make their sweet potato shochu. So there's a small wooden distillery with all the traditional equipment um, and they do clay pot aging and they do all the things that you would do traditionally for sweet potato shochu. But around it is this massive industrial complex cranking up, you know, hundreds of thousands of liters of, of shochu a month. So... And he, you know, so he could show me his distillery, but it was still, you know, it's, it's a, it's sort of a, you know, they use it, they're making shochu there, they do test batches there, but it's not his only business. In fact, it's a very, very small percentage of his business. And so he ended up taking me to a little family distillery called Yamato Zakura, which is arguably the smallest distillery in Kagoshima. It's a father and a son, and they have one seasonal full-time employee. Who's he only works four months a year, and then they have uh, a bunch of part-time workers who are all seasonal part-time workers, and they're all basically old retired women from the community who come in in the morning and cut the sweet potatoes and wash the rice. And actually, they don't wash the rice; they they do other things because washing the rice is actually a lot of work. But they do a number of the of the tasks that you know that they're capable of doing at their advanced age. I mean, one woman. I think she's now been working at the distillery for close to 20 years and that's after she retired. So she's in her, in her mid to late seventies at this point. And she used, and she's so fast with a knife when she's cutting sweet potatoes. And it turns out it's because she used to work in a hospital kitchen. She was like a a line cook in a, in a hospital cooking for, you know, hundreds of people a day. I mean, that was just amazing enough to you. You said, okay, this is where I want to work. Yeah. I was, and I was only there for 30, 40 minutes and I wasn't even, you know, I, I knew so little about shochu on that first trip that I visited in July. And nobody's making shochu because it's too damn hot, right? Yeah. In, in Kyushu, it's just, you know, it's, it's miserable in July. And so I um, basically, I, I was like, all right, now I want to come back and see it being made. 
which means I have to come back in the fall, which is the sweet potato show tree season. And I was like, if I'm going to take another trip here, I may as well try to roll up my sleeves and learn how to make it a little bit. And I never was a, a you know, craft, you know, home brewer or a, you know, I've never made wine. I've never done anything in the production of alcohol. But for some reason, just learning this traditional craft just seemed fascinating to me. And I thought it would be a one-time deal. But actually, I've now gone back every season since then, since 2013, to help make uh, this shochu. Oh, so, wow. okay. so what's that like? What's it like? I mean, I know the hours are long and stuff, and but what's what's it like for you working there? I mean, what's the, what is the schedule like? Yeah, so it, it depends on if we're making the main brand or if we're making like a tokubetsu, like a premium, you know, uh, limited version. Uh, the main brand is probably 13 to 14 hour days, and when we're making something premium, it's 16 hour days because it takes longer. Uh, for the koji making process when you're making the premium shochu and it's 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 hard labor i mean i'm a scientist right so i'm paid to think i'm paid to use my brain and to to write scientific papers and you know get grants and things like that and present at conferences and teach students i don't i don't do manual labor i haven't for a long time yeah. um, but we're processing essentially a metric t- t- metric ton of sweet potatoes and about 200 kilograms of rice a day um, and it starts at five or six in the morning and you work it, you work in but about two to three hours and then you have breakfast and then you work for two to three hours and then you have lunch and then you work three or four hours and have dinner. Uh, and then after dinner, there's some, some work, which is not as, it's not as all the heavy lifting is done in the morning, but the evening work is, um, it's, you're doing two things. One is you're stirring, you're mixing the pots. Because uh, these are these are clay pots buried in the floor, um, and you're mix so you're mixing the fermentations to keep uh, keep the koji and the yeast happy, which are the two organisms that are living and making the making the shochu for you basically. And mm-hmm. the other thing you're do, doing is you're you're cooling down the koji in the koji room, uh, which ko- koji is a mold that's growing on rice when you're producing koji, and uh, it generates a lot of heat. And if it gets too hot, uh, the the koji can actually burn itself out. So there's a process by which you cool the rice, uh, the koji inoculated rice, uh, in the evening, and and so you're in a in a very very hot and humid environment and just sweating as you're as you're working through the koji uh, in the evening. So that's the night work, which is a little bit less labor intensive than you know washing the potatoes and and all of that sort of thing. But um, yeah, it's 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 very it's very demanding. But it, you know, some people go to like yoga camp to reset, but for me, it's like I go work in a distillery because. I just get to work with my hands. And at the end of, of the process, we've made something that is, is really delicious and that people really seem to enjoy. To make something that, that people are actually enjoying. Yeah, it makes sense. Like little work, vacation, totally different world you get to go into and then kind of refresh and then get go back. That's really cool. So I want to ask about that 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 ability. You can do that. Uh, what's the visa situation? I know some people listening are like, yeah, I want to do that too. That sounds really cool. So how do you, what kind of, what's your visa situation that allow you to do that? So when I would go work at the distillery, I never worked for more than a month. And so I would just oh, okay. come over on a tourist visa and I wasn't being paid. So I wasn't an employee. Mm-hmm. I would just, I was just a volunteer and they, you know, they have a, an apartment on, on premises at the distillery that I could stay. And then I would eat dinner with the family, but or, you know, meals with the family. So they essentially room and board was, was my compensation. Um, okay. now, now that I'm living in Japan, obviously I have a, a work visa through the university. So if you wanted to, if you wanted to actually come and work in a sake brewery or a distillery for the entire season, and it was more than three months and you actually wanted to get paid. Obviously that's a different challenge. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I wouldn't have any advice as to how to do that because I've never done it. 
Okay, that takes away my next question. I was like, cause some people, what if someone says, like, you know, wow, that's that's my dream. I want to do that. Is, is there an avenue to do that now in 2019 or still kind of tough? <laughs> there, there must be because I, I didn't meet him, but there's a well, last time I was in Amami, which is where they make Kokuto Shochu. Uh, I was told that at one of the distilleries, there's a, there's a, a young American working. Like he's, he's now a Kodabito. He's, he's part of the distillery staff. I actually and, think I interviewed, I interviewed that man. Oh, did you? Yes, I did. That was, that was a while ago. I'm trying to think what's his, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but yeah, I definitely interviewed him uh, last year. I think his name is Andrew and he worked, he worked at a sake brewery. So maybe different though. It's not shows you. Yeah. Maybe okay. Different. Yeah. This, this was down in Amami Island off the coast of Kagoshima. Oh yeah. And, not him. Not him. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, cool. So That's I, interesting. Yeah. So, you know, apparently people are doing it. I, you know, I have a career. I can't, you know, quit and go make booze because it just doesn't pay well enough <laughs> yeah. to be completely honest. Unfortunately, it doesn't uh, pay enough to pay the bills. But um, okay, so that next, my next question would lead me to, uh, so you have this, um, you know, you, you obviously have kind of not two careers, but you have one career in medical field, and then you kind of do this as a kind of a not hobby is the wrong word, but it is a hobby. You're doing a lot of stuff, making the website, doing that stuff, and then you're also working, which is like just getting as far as you can into that world. Um, so then, what was the switch that said, okay, I just want to live in Japan? I mean, you just you had to make that happen somehow. So. Is that again? Was that something? Was that a goal you had? And how did you make that goal happen? Is my next question. Yeah. So I, I, I was. I thought it would be. It would be fun. You know, it's something I wanted to do. I'd never lived overseas before. You know, I know a lot of a lot of the people who um, interact with you, you know you and your group is you know they're they're either in the jet program or they're thinking about things when they're younger, right? Mm-hmm. And I just never never had that opportunity or or never pursued that opportunity. I'm sure I could have. Yeah. Um, but I was in graduate school and then I was working at a university. So I didn't really have, have that luxury. And when the, I think it was when I started coming over for the three months a year, you know, when I started doing that is when I realized, you know what, I could actually live here and maybe it's worth pursuing. And, um, I don't, I don't like to talk politics, but the political environment in the United States certainly encouraged me to, to make the move when I did. <laughs> yeah. We can, we can um, understand that one. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, you know what, I, I, cause it's just stressful, you know, and, and it was like, well, you know what, if I go live in Japan, I can, you know, be at arm's length and, and live my life and not, not feel like, you know, the sky is falling every, every morning. <laughs> okay. So changing subject a little bit. Uh, so how did you kind of, you found that connection, you said you got, you had to kind of build your contacts up, you know, you had some people that, that found you. So were you actively telling people, Hey, I'm looking for a job in Japan. So if you got one, let me know. Or did they just kind of come to you and say, Hey, what about this? So I did a, I, in, for three consecutive summers, I went to Japanese universities and did, I was a visiting professor. So I was a visiting professor twice at Kyushu University in Fukuoka and once at Kyoto University, obviously. In was this again by your, your accord or did that kind of somehow it was already set up by your job or something? I, I reached out uh, to, to my connections that I had met at these different conferences. And there's, there's one uh, physician in particular in Osaka actually has been extremely supportive of my interest in Japan He's another foodie. Like every time we're at the same conference together, he and I go out and have amazing meals. And, and so he's made a lot of introductions for me and, and, you know, vouched for me with these, these different universities. And, you know, again, they weren't paying me. So it was just basically giving me some office space and letting me give a, you know, a visiting lecture and, and, you know, tap into their Wi-Fi or whatever. And so, and then I ended up when I, I spent a month actually at Kyoto University, which was actually, was a lot of fun. I hadn't spent a lot of time in Kyoto before and the time that I had spent, I was in the tourist areas. Uh, but to live in a residential area in Kyoto and commute 
to the university on a bicycle and just exploring the neighborhoods and the shops and restaurants and things was, was really, really a treat. And then I ended up developing research collaborations, I think because I was there for an entire month that have now resulted in, in publications where I've published, I'm a co-author on papers that have come out of Kyoto university as a result of that. And so I think it was because of those experiences that then gave me uh, several academic physicians that could then write me letters of recommendation when the position came available here in Fukuoka. And yeah, so it was, it was a long road though. It wasn't, you know, I think if I had just been just applied blind, like saw that there was a position available and applied to it. And, you know, my Japanese is definitely not strong enough to teach a course in Japanese. So, you know, I, I teach in English and, and you know, the students struggle, but <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. I mean, that's, that's a good, goes to show. I mean, you, a lot of times people think when they want to, you know, follow their hobby that's in Japan for whatever that is, anime, manga, gaming or whatever, you got to kind of put your career on hold, but you definitely are a good case of something. You did not do that at all. You kind of molded your, your Japan hobby into around your career, right? That's really cool. That's a really rare case there. It's really cool. You made, made that happen again through all your hard work though. It all was your setting up of these, these opportunities, right? I think it's really important for people to hear that, you know? Yeah, I think I was, I feel extremely fortunate to have this opportunity and you know, I, it, sometimes I, I'm like, how did I manage to convince everybody to let this happen? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, you know <laughs> yeah, I, it's cool. I, I think, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, there's times when, you know, especially when I was a younger adult where I was like, I'm still a kid. I'm still, I still feel like a high school student. What, what, why are people giving me a car loan or why are people renting <laughs> me an apartment? Like, yeah. I, I totally don't deserve this. Right. You know, and, and it's sort of, it's this imposter syndrome that I think is actually fairly common, you know, at least uh, among Americans where you, you sort of are like, really, am I now the adult that I used to be annoyed by when I was a kid, you know, or that sort of thing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but at some point you just have to accept that this is life and, you know, we're all just trying to live it. And, you know, we really don't, you know, I don't know, but who knows what, you know, I'm not going to get spiritual, but, you know, if this is my one shot, I want to make sure I live, live life to the fullest and, you know, don't have any regrets. So. That's really cool. And uh, yeah, I guess fast forward a little bit. I mean, you also did some other stuff. I mean, you just, the reason I kind of reached out for you, I think I first tweet I saw from you was a tweet about a book and you open a bar and stuff. So let us know what's going on like more modern times in 2019 for you. Yeah. So it's, it seems like, you know, I, in some ways I, I take on more and more responsibility and when I should probably be cutting back. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, uh, after moving to Fukuoka, I had been introduced to a local, He's American, a guy named Brian Dorfman, who he opened a liquor store called New York Wine, uh, New York Wine Traders here in Fukuoka. And he's importing New York State alcohol, craft alcohol uh, to Japan. And his his headquarters is here in Fukuoka. And when I went to visit him in his shop, he had this big back room that was sort of like a conference room slash warehouse. And I was looking around. I was like, what do you do with this space? He was like, well, we do special events sometimes. I use it for storage. It's my office. I was like, you ever think about opening a bar back here? Because in Japan, that's allowed. You can have a, a bar in a liquor store. And so he was like, that's kind of, he looked around as well. And so that's kind of a great idea. And so like, I think it was four or five weeks later, we had a, we had a functioning bar. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's been fun. You know, we ended up um, hiring a, a bilingual uh, bar bar manager who's a Japanese guy from Kagoshima. We so we call the front of the shop the the, the liquor store. We call it the the New York Zone, and then the 
the bar, we call it the Kyushu zone because it's all focused on shochu and awamori. Um, it's called Yokoban, New York. Although if you just look up New York wines on Google Maps, you'll find in Fukuoka, you'll find the store and then and then the, 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 the bars in the back. Uh, but we've, we've, and what our goal, you know, cause I, I sort of love these small craft shochus. So we, we, we really try to stock things that nobody's ever heard of, you know, so Japanese people come in and, and they're like, Oh, you have shochu. Do you have Hakutake Shiro? Do you have Ichiko? Do you have Kurokirishima? Which are like the three biggest brands of, of rice, barley, and sweet potato shochu. And we're like, no, <laughs> we don't. We, <laughs> we, we have uh, shochu from distilleries that make as much in a year as those distilleries make in a week. Um, oh, wow. So, you know, then we, we, then that gives us an opportunity to introduce and we try to carry some brands that are evocative of those main brands, you know, those, those mass produced spirits, but they're all made, uh, with, you know, traditional craftsmanship. And so we're actually educating the local Japanese about shochu, which is a little crazy to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you work in the bar and stuff or you work, is that another part-time job for you or just, uh, you know, you kind of helped out with setup and stuff? Yeah, no, I, I just don't have the bandwidth to actually work there. I've, I've bartended a couple of times, like when the, the, the barman needs a night off or something. Um, but I, you know, and basically what I tell my friends is if you're coming to town, I'll go to the, bar with you. but I don't, I don't really work there. Um, okay. yeah. And the other thing that, that happened, uh, was I ended up writing a book. Um, I had wa- wanted to write a book about shochu and Awamori, but, um, the, the publisher thought the world wasn't ready for that. And so uh, Chris Bunting, who had written a, a terrific little travel guide called Drinking Japan a few years ago, uh, it's really a little paperback and it's really intended to like, when you're in Japan, this is how you drink. These are the customs and the traditions. And these are some great bars and mainly in Tokyo that, that you can go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and I had connected through Twitter and then we started emailing each other periodically and I'd have questions for him and things. And he ended up moving back to the UK and I had been bugging about doing a, an expanded version of the book or building a companion website or that sort of thing. And he's like, you know, I'm really not, I don't think that's in my, in my future. He said, you should do it. And so he ended up introducing me to the publisher and then he and I ended up writing it together, uh, which really was him giving me 20,000 digital photos that he had taken for the original book he had written and all of his original notebooks. I actually have a box full of his old, uh, handwritten notebooks. Um, and I called through all of that and then did my own research in photography and ended up putting together the book, which is called The Complete Guide to Japanese Drinks, which was published in October. I believe it's uh, just released. or it's, I think it's now been Amazon in Japan has now started shipping it, but it's supposed to release on the 27th. So on Sunday. Um, there you go. Wow. In Japan. So and then I just finished a book tour where I, I did events in Vancouver, Seattle, Chicago, New York, uh, Manhattan. And uh, Brooklyn. What was that so, like? And, that is awesome. What was that? What to, was the book tour like? That was a little weird because there were people that would show up, you know, for an autographed copy of the book that I'd never met. Like I just assumed my friends would read the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, but to have have strangers asking you for your autograph is a little 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 odd. I guess I've done that's it. That's crazy. So, so, yeah, that's uh, cool. Excuse me if I'm being uh, ignorant here, but it seems like there wouldn't. It's not like um, this is the kind of book where your celebrity is going to be a thousand people waiting for you, but there's going to be, I mean, there's going to be the hardcore of hardcore fans. So it's kind of like a cool, small gathering is what I imagine. But is that how it worked out? Yeah, it really did. I think uh, the, the biggest event actually was in the smallest venue. Uh, we ended up having about 50 people coming through a little sake shop in, in Manhattan called Sakaya. And it's a tiny little place. 
you know, it's one of these really narrow New York City uh, apartment buildings and they're on the ground floor. And we just had the place packed. You know, normally I've spent time in there, you know, on and off when they'll do tastings and things. And there might be two or three customers at a time over a couple of hours. And we, I think we had 50 people cycle through and we sold, I think, 17 copies of the book. Um, wow, that's really cool. But, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I also did a, a reading. The first time I did a reading was at Brooklyn Curra, which is the first sake brewery in New York State. And they're making really, really great sake. And uh, I actually, as I was doing the reading, I was reading one of my favorite passages in the book and I actually got emotional. And some of the people in the audience did as well. <laughs> and I'm like, this is a drinks guide. We're not supposed to be tearing up. But the story is actually very touching. So. That's awesome. I mean, uh, this the you know I talked to you thirty minutes now, and I this is really inspirational. How you made a lot of stuff happen just by from one you know some people think showed you whatever to drink, right? But it shows if you like something enough, you find enough ish interest, passion in it, you can take it to as almost as far as it can go. You know, look at what else in, is there left for you and showed you to do. You know what I mean? Like you know, you start a brewery or something. But that's kind of you know who that's a lot of work. Who wants to do that? But you've done pretty much everything you can do. That's that's really cool. I mean, well, I guess I would normally ask what's left what's left for you to do. I guess in the future about this in this world. Yeah. So that's that's a great question. I think you know, I'm again with my background in in education and research. I really want to you know help educate. Uh, Western consumers about shochu and awamori. And that was the purpose of the book. I mean, the book is all Japanese alcohol traditions. It covers sake, shochu, awamori, umeshu, or plum wine, which are all Japanese alcohol traditions. And it also covers Japanese interpretations of whiskey, beer, wine, and then how Japanese bartenders are sort of taking over the cocktail world. Uh, but, you know, and I do have interest in in all of those drinks, but my my real passion is is for shochu and awamori. And it's sort of for the same reason I said earlier, where, you know, I could just be a consumer of information about craft beer or scotch whiskey or whatever. And it's the same thing with sake. There's so many great sake writers and, and sake evangelists out there. I don't feel like I need to be another one pounding that drum. But when it comes to shochu, it's essentially uh, Christopher Pellegrini and I who... Um, you know, really have have carried this torch for a while, and and it's nice to now see that there are other people that are starting to get their shochu advisor certificate, and you know, which is like a mini sommelier license, and uh, you know, there's there's more awareness among bartenders and that sort of thing. But I feel like there's such a long way to go. And when I when I started down this journey, when I decided to start the website, and I just started started decided to start doing tastings and happy hours and things, and you know, started being invited to speak at drinks. Uh, events and things like that. I, I really, my goal was I want to be able to drink shochu in any bar in America. I want it to be right next to the Jack Daniels and the, and the kettle one vodka. Yeah. And, and so I'm not there yet. So I think, you know, I'll, I'll keep pushing forward until, um, until that happens. That's awesome, man. You got a great story, really inspirational how you can, you know, just doing everything you want to do in your hobby. And that's really cool. Making it happen yourself though. Not waiting for anybody else to do it for you. You make it happen yourself. Um, but Steven, thanks for your time for these 30 minutes. I'm going to send everyone to compi.us. I'll put the link in the show notes page at altinsider.com. Of course, then send people to your Twitter as well. Is there anywhere else people can check out your stuff online? Uh, I'm also on Instagram uh, at shochu underscore Danji, which is the same, uh, same as my, my Twitter handle. And then I do have a Facebook group, which is uh, called Kanpai, uh, both both in English and in, in kanji. So okay, cool. Find, I'll link that. Find well. me on there as well. So yeah, I'll, I'll send you it. some links. Uh, oh yeah, please do, please do. Things. And what, okay. what was the name of the bar one more time? I want to make sure I link that up too. It's called Yoka. Yeah, Yokoban NY. So Yokoban is Kagoshima dialect for a great night out. Um, and 
because we're in inside of New York wines, we decided to call it Yokoban New York. There you go, guys. Stop by yeah. and drink some of, kind of soak in some of the vibe of Stephen here. His hardworking vibes, <laughs> loving shochu. But uh, yes, thanks, thanks for your time, Stephen. Hope we time, yeah. maybe talk to you down the road when you get your next uh, shochu venture going. Sounds great. Thank you very much. I really hope you enjoyed today's Inside Japan podcast. Dive deeper into our world and learn more about what awaits you. Check out altinsider.com. And for regular up-to-the-minute job postings, check into jobsinjapan.com for the next big gig. Please tune in for our regular excursions into the world of Japan. And good luck. Gambate. Don't